Well, there are many reasons why we can celebrate Easter and knowing that Jesus is alive. The Bible tells us that there were many convincing proofs uh, that Jesus rose from the grave and that he's alive. Uh, But one of the main reasons why we can believe this with certainty is that there were 10 post-resurrection appearances that Jesus made with individuals and groups of disciples, at least 10 that we know of through the Gospels. And we're going to talk about one of those appearances that he made with a group of disciples, and it's in John chapter 21, and it happens to be one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, and I love it because there's some humor in it, but I've been so excited to preach uh, on this message all week because of, of what it implies and what it's about. So turn with me now to John 21. We'll be looking at the final miracle uh, that Jesus gave before he ascended into heaven. And this was the seventh appearance that he made uh, with his uh, disciples and uh, individuals. So John 21, we read these words. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The gospel of Jesus Christ. So as I mentioned, this, as the text mentions, this was the third time Jesus appeared to a group of disciples. It was the seventh time he appeared to either individuals or groups. But what's interesting about this occurrence when Jesus appeared to seven of his disciples is it was out on the lake. And it wasn't in Jerusalem, it was by the Sea of Galilee. Before Jesus was crucified, and before he, he, he died and was put into the tomb, and, and even before his resurrection, he told his disciples that he would die, and he would rise again, and that he would return to them in a glorified state by the Sea of Galilee. He would return to them in Galilee. We know that from Mark chapter 14. We also know that on this resurrection Easter Sunday, Jesus had had risen from the grave. The women ran to the tomb. They ran to an empty tomb. And the women came across an angel who was in the tomb. And Mark 16 says that the angel said to the women, do not be alarmed. 
You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So there were at least two different times where the disciples had learned that Jesus would appear to them after he had died in the region of Galilee. The previous times where Jesus appeared to his disciples or to individuals was in Jerusalem in the upper room. But this time, Jesus would appear to them in Galilee. So the disciples, they made an 80-mile journey from Jerusalem to Galilee. This was probably a couple weeks after Jesus had risen from the grave. And the disciples were in Galilee. They were waiting on Jesus to appear to them. And as they're waiting, I imagine that they were starving. They were hungry. And these seven men were fishermen. And so Peter just said, hey, guys. I'm hungry, let's, let's go fish. We gotta, we gotta support ourselves, so let's do what we do best and let's go fish. So these seven disciples were fishing all day long and it said, the text tells us that it was in the evening, but yet they caught nothing, nada, zilch. They probably didn't even get bites from the fish. And these were professional fishermen. If you've ever gone fishing, you can relate to this moment that the disciples had can't you? Hour after hour, you're waiting for that fish that you can catch. And you can go home and tell your family, hey, guess how many I caught? You know, a couple weeks ago, I went with David Forbes trout fishing, and David's in this room now. He's a professional trout guide. He's one of nine in this area. And it's the first time I ever went trout fishing, but I had the time of my life. I went with David. He had all his gear. He had his his fishing boat, and he knew exactly what to do. He told me, we went in the early morning, he said, fish come out in the morning and in the evening when it's dark, and it's cooler, and that's when they come and rise up, and they, they, they try to get bait fish, and that's how they eat. So we went early morning, and David was extremely patient with me, because I'm an amateur, right? <laughs> I've never done trout fishing, <laughs> and David would say, okay, Seth, we're about to approach this, this fishing hole where there's a lot of fish. And he reminded me that out of the 100% of water, fish tend to gravitate to about 10% of certain places in the water. And so he said, okay, Seth, here's one of those places where I know you're going to get a bite. I know it. I just know it. You're, you're going to get fish. And so I'd throw my line out there and, and nothing would happen. <laughs> and then there was probably, it happened about eight different fishing holes, right? We would, we would approach and it would, time would go on and he's, all right, all right, Seth, all right, just throw it out there. Now's the time. Nothing. And I was starting to look at David and said, David, are you just messing with me? <laughs> and he said, no, you just got to do it this way. And I could tell he was being really gracious. I just didn't know what I was doing because I would, I would reel the line back in and it would get tangled up, you know, three or four times and David would have to patiently un, uh, unwind it and get it back on. And, and he would say, all right, just try it again. And he was really, really patient with me. But I started getting frustrated because the hour and a half had passed and I'm thinking, I'm getting nothing here. And, and I'm kind of embarrassing myself. And He's telling me that, you know, this is a place where people would get fish and, you know, people leave with five, six, seven fish. At the end of the day, I had nothing to prove or nothing to, 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 to tell others about. And so finally, we get to the last big fishing hole, the swimming hole that they're at. And he said, all right, Seth, this is going to go about two minutes, okay? And this is where all of them are. Like, you should get at least a bite, if not a couple fish here. So I'm kind of feeling the pressure. I'm thinking, all right, here we go. <laughs> and so I cast the line out, and finally, 
finally, I got my fish. So you can see it here. It was really, really small, really small. And that was the only thing I got that day. But I was so proud of that fish. But it was tiny, right? The disciples on that day, they went from frustration to excitement. But imagine, I mean, my, my excitement doesn't even compare to what they were excited about because they had 153 fish. But before they got the 153 fish, think about what went down here. All right, they're professionals, and all of a sudden they hear this voice from the shoreline saying, hey, children, have you caught anything yet? Now, the word children back in the day, it didn't mean what we think. Jesus wasn't demeaning the disciples. Children means lad, boys, or fellows. So Jesus was saying, hey, boys, have you caught anything yet? And they hadn't, so they were frustrated. So then this stranger they didn't recognize said, hey, just just cast the net over on the right side and you'll get something. What surprises me about this is that the disciples first admitted that they hadn't caught anything because these were professionals, and professional fishermen do not like to admit when they haven't got anything. But they were quick to admit it. They said, yeah, we haven't caught anything. And, and then this guy, the stranger, just says, hey, just cast the net on the right side. So they, they said, okay. That surprises me because these were professionals and they're listening to a stranger, but they probably felt like, well, we have nothing to lose. Let's try it. So they cast the net on the other side of the boat and they get 153 fish. I love the exact number here. That just tells you that someone was actually there and counted the number of fish that was caught. 153. It's kind of a, it seems random, but it wasn't random. That's how many fish were caught that day. And it was hard for the disciples to even haul it back in the boat. But when that happened... It was like everything changed for the disciples. Because at first they thought that this person was a stranger. But then the next thing we see after this final miracle took place before Jesus ascended into heaven is the next thing we see is there was a great discovery that was made. Verse 7, John, he called himself, the person who wrote these letters or this, this gospel, he called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Wouldn't you love that identity? Yeah, I'm the disciple who Jesus loved. But John said, that disciple, me, whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. So after this miracle took place and all these fish were beginning to be put into the boat, John looked over and said, that's Jesus. That has to be him. He has come to us now. We've been waiting with great anticipation and he's here. It is the Lord. John that day made a great discovery. A great discovery. Now, my question to you on this Easter Resurrection Sunday is, have you made this great discovery? Have you discovered who this Jesus is? And if you haven't, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is here in spirit. He's alive. And I would encourage you this day to find him, to discover him. He's here. So believe that he's here and have hope that he's here. This was the kind of discovery that changed John's life and it can change your life. There was one occasion where a group of college students, they went to a professor. His name was Sir James Simpson. And Sir James Simpson was a great inventor. He, he invented many things and discovered many things. And one of that was chloroform. And the students said, uh, Sir Simpson, they said, what was your greatest discovery? What was your greatest invention you ever discovered or made? You know what he said? He said, students, 
The greatest discovery I, I ever made is that Jesus Christ is my Savior. That is by far the most important thing a person can ever come to know. The greatest discovery, this great mind, he was one of the, the best inventors of his day. The greatest discovery he ever made was Jesus Christ was his Savior. In the same way that Simpson said that to his students, I'm saying this to you today. Jesus is the greatest discovery you'll ever make. He will radically transform and change your life. He'll give you purpose. He'll give you meaning. He'll give you worth and value and dignity. He'll give you something to live for. He'll give you contentment. He'll give you peace. He'll give you comfort. He'll give you joy. That's what Jesus does. And that's who Jesus is. And when John saw this miracle, he said, it is the Lord. He made this incredible discovery. So I have another question for you. Not only have you made the discovery, but what happens when you do discover Christ? I'll tell you what happens, and we see it with Peter. You're overcome and overwhelmed with emotion. And this is where my favorite verse, or one of my favorite passages in Scripture is. I want you to see this eager response that Peter made in verses 7 and 8. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other, other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, about 100 yards away. Why do I like this passage so much? Because I like humor. I like to laugh. I like comedy. You know, one scholar said that Peter was naked. Naked. Now, as I'm thinking about it, that's kind of a bad middle picture. But Peter was a rough dude. He was a fisherman, right? Blue-collar fisherman like these other guys. And he was probably sweating. He was hot. I don't think he was buck naked. I don't think he was naked. But I think he was in his boxer briefs. And why do I say that? Because it says his undergarments. He was so hot, he's fishing in his undergarments. And then the other thing that's really funny is when John said, it's the Lord, look what he did. He put on his clothes and jumped into the water. When you go to the lake, when you go to the swimming pool, when you go to the ocean, what do you do? You take off clothes and you get in the water. You wear your bathing suit, right? Not Peter. He put on his clothes and jumped into the water and he swam 100 yards to Jesus. It's hilarious. Why did he do that? It's because he knew Jesus was there. He knew it was the risen king and he wanted to honor the king by being fully clothed. He didn't want to be half naked. He wanted to be fully clothed. And so he swam as fast and hard as he could, 100 yards away, to get to Jesus. You know what I think about? I think about the movie Forrest Gump. If you've ever seen Forrest Gump, what does Forrest Gump, Tom Hanks' character, do when he sees Lieutenant Dan? Lieutenant Dan comes up in his wheelchair on the dock, and Forrest Gump's out on a shrimp boat, and what does he do? Lieutenant Dan! Lieutenant Dan! And then he, he, he just jumps in, into the water and he swims as fast as he can to see Lieutenant Dan. And the shrimp boat keeps going on and on and on without him. <laughs> it's one of the funniest scenes in Forrest Gump. If you've never seen it, go check it out. It's really funny. That made me think about Peter's reaction. He had a Lieutenant Dan moment. He sees Jesus. He says, oh my goodness. He puts on his clothes and he swims as fast as he can to get to him. He's overwhelmed with emotion and excitement. And Peter, he oftentimes acted on impulse. He was just that type of person. 
I mean, he, when, he, when he went all out, he went all out. And that's what I love about this reaction. When you know that Jesus is king, and when you give your life to him, that's the kind of reaction that you will have. You can't control it. It's uncontrollable. You can't contain it. You're overwhelmed with emotion and joy because you realize that's what life is about. Now I have purpose and meaning. I have someone to live for, someone who will never let me down, someone who always forgives me, someone who loves me, someone who pursues me when I, I, I don't need to be pursued, when I'm unloving and when I'm sinful. Jesus still loves me. That's why Peter reacted this way. I, I think he may have done a cannonball. You know, jumped in. You know, it wasn't always like this, though, with Peter. He didn't always have this incredible intimate relationship with Christ because one of the first things we know about when Jesus met Peter is that they were out on a lake. It's in Luke chapter 5. And this was the other miraculous catch of fish that took place. And I want to read it. Luke 5, it says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Peter, Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Peter, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon Peter answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. Similar situation here. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both the, both the boats, so they began to sink. The boats began to sink. There were so many fish. But I want you to get this part, verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. You know what I found interesting here is that Peter's initial reaction was that of separation. When he saw this miracle take place on the lake, and he had two boatloads of fish, and the, the boats were sinking, Peter was blown away at that miracle, and he said, only a God could do this. But notice how he said, Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. He immediately made space between him and Jesus. Because he, he saw that Jesus was God, and he saw that Jesus is perfect, and he's saying, oh, woe is me, I'm not perfect. I can't even be in his presence. Oh, my goodness. That's the initial re reaction you should have when you first come into contact with Jesus, is you need to realize how perfect he is and how imperfect you are. We all in this room don't have it together. We all have issues. We all have stuff we're dealing with. It's called sin. But here's what makes Christianity so powerful. Is that Jesus was perfect. And he left heaven to come to this earth. And he lived a life that you and I should have lived. A perfect life that we could never live. And then he died a horrific death so that we could be forgiven. And we could be set free and have purpose on this life. And hope in heaven to come. Peter's first reaction was, whoa, I am such a sinner. And look how powerful he is. It's a common reaction that believers had 
when you read through the Bible and they have today. I think about Abraham in Genesis 18 when he, when he came across the supernatural angel and he said, Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. He's saying, I'm just dust and ashes when it comes to being in God's presence. I'm nothing and he's everything. I think about Isaiah when he had this vision of God. Isaiah said, Woe is me, I'm lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He's saying, woe is me, woe, I'm nothing, you're everything. I'm insignificant, you're significant. You're great, I'm weak. That's what Peter's initial reaction was at the first miraculous catch of fish. You know, as I was thinking about this, I thought about me being in the military. A lot of you know I'm in the military, and I serve as a chaplain in the Air National Guard. And about once a month, uh, I'll have drill, and there's about 1,200 airmen that are in different sections around the base. And sometimes I'll go around, and I'll walk around, and I'll just interact with them, and I'll see how everybody's doing. And, and, and when I get there, there's sometimes where there's a group of, of airmen, and I can tell they've been talking about something that they wouldn't want me to hear as a chaplain. Or they're joking, or they might even be saying some cuss words. And then in walks the chaplain with my cross on. I'm like, hey, guys. And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, the chaplain's here. We got to stop cussing. Or, oh, the chaplain's here. We got to stop joking. And so all of a sudden, they, they try to act like they're on better behavior. And they're like, okay, hey, chaplain, yeah, we're doing okay. And then I, I talk for a few minutes. And then I, I go to the other group and, you know, start talking to other people. And then I'm still kind of listening in on what they're saying. And then I can tell. They're like, oh, my goodness. You believe the chaplain's here again? And then, and then they start joking again, or they start cussing again, and they start kind of, because they, they know me, and they're like, yeah, I'm a chaplain, you know, that's cool, hey. Here's the thing about Jesus, though, is that when you really know Jesus, you don't want to go back to your old ways. Like, you want to change. You want to change, because you realize that you are imperfect. And you want to be better. You want to do better. You want to live for him. You have someone to live for. And so you want to throw off those bad habits and those bad sins that you're holding on to, and you want to live for him. Peter began to do that throughout his life. But what's fascinating is, as the story goes on in this miracle, you see yet something else that is fascinating. You see a loving Savior. You see... A God who loves sinners like you and me. I want you to go back to verse 9 of chapter 21. When the disciples got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. There's two things I want you to see here about Jesus' love for Peter and for the disciples and, and for sinners. The first thing that immediately jumped out to me was the charcoal. Now, you might be wondering, now, Seth, Easter Sunday, charcoal? What, what, why are you talking about charcoal? Well, as the disciples were fishing, Jesus was on the shore, he built a fire, and he was already cooking them breakfast. When was the last time that you read about, in the Gospels, charcoal? It was when Peter was warming his hands by the fire, the charcoal fire, 
And he had these strangers come up to him and say, hey, don't you know that Jesus who's about to be crucified? And what did Peter say? No, I never knew him. No, I didn't know him. In fact, we read these words from the gospels. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of the disciples, are you? And Peter denied it and said, no, I'm not. This was the same Peter who was with Jesus for almost three years. He saw miracle after miracle after miracle. He heard Jesus speak with truth. He said, I'm going to follow you with my life. And here's a defining moment in his life where Jesus is about to be crucified. And, G- and Peter, what does he do? And stand, standing up for Jesus and saying, I'm going to be with Jesus till the end. He says, no, I don't even know him. Because he was afraid for his life. The rooster crowed. And Peter realized right then, I denied Jesus. And he ran like a coward. Why do I bring this up? Because that was the last time we read about charcoal, is when Peter ran away from Jesus. But now notice the difference. Peter's running to Jesus, and there's now another charcoal fire. And guess what this charcoal fire is about? It's about a meal. And Jesus is saying, come, Peter. You who ran away from me when the going got tough, When the peer pressure came on, you caved in and you ran away, (laughs) come back, and I'm going to serve you a meal. That's who Jesus is. You and I, let's be honest with ourselves, we run away from Jesus. When we sin, we run away from him. There's sometimes where we doubt our faith. There's sometimes where we're like, I don't know about this. There's sometimes we're just so busy we don't even think about Jesus. We just run. But you know what Jesus does? Hey, come back. Come back. Come back. You know the other thing that Jesus does? He forgives, and he forgives, and he forgives. Second chances, second chances. We believe in a God of second chances. Jesus loves sinners like you and me. But the other thing that I noticed is that he served them breakfast. This is the king of all kings. This is the greatest leader of all time. This is the person who just defeated death and rose from the grave. And he's in this glorified state. You would think he would say, hey, world, I just defeated death. Here I am. Not Jesus. Jesus appeared to seven smelly fishermen. And he said, I'm going to serve you a meal. I'm going to serve you breakfast. Because that's what Jesus does. One pastor said, No other religion offers a God who makes charcoal fires and serves breakfast to his people. No other religion offers a God who makes charcoal fires and serves breakfast to his people. That's what Jesus does. That's who he is. He's a servant. That's why I've given my life to him. That's the discovery I've made. I hope you've made that too. Because that's what life is about. It's about serving others. It's about loving others, even your enemies. Jesus did it time and time and time again. You know, many of you know I like country music. And several years ago, my wife and I went to the Zac Brown Band concert and Kenny Chesney concert in Tampa, Florida. It was great. 
But we got some backstage passes to get to meet these people. It was really cool. And, and Stephanie and I were just thinking, this is just going to be a quick photo op. We're going to get in and get out. You know, two seconds, we'll say hello, maybe shake their hands, get a picture, and then on, on we go. Not with Zach Brown Band. I'll never forget this moment. We, we go to meet the Zach Brown Band, and you know what they did? They got behind the waiting line of the buffet, and they served us. The five-man band, they got behind the waiting line, and they served us barbecue, coleslaw, baked beans, you name it. And then not only did they serve us a meal, we all sat around these round tables. They came and sat with us. We sat with the, the drummer for 20 minutes, and we're talking about our families. We're asking about his life. He's asking about our family. I'll never forget it. Here, we were thinking, two-second photo op. They'll never forget us. But yet they served us a meal and they sat with us for 20 minutes. Now, I want you to think about that example on a much greater scale. Jesus sat with his disciples and served them breakfast on the shoreline. Really? Yeah, that's Jesus. And you know what I I love about it? Some of you here, because I know most of you in here, some of you here are running ragged. Some of you here are living by the hour and you're tired and you're exhausted. The disciples were about to embark on an incredible journey where most of them would lose their lives for Christ. They would be killed for their faith and they would be spread around the world sharing this incredible message of Jesus. But before Jesus unleashed them into the world to turn the world upside down, look what he did. He took the time to have a meal with them and for them to be refreshed. Some of you just need refreshment right now. Some of you are exhausted, you're tired, you just need to be. You need to be in his presence, you need to be with him. And I just encourage you, if that's you, let this Easter Sunday, the rest of this day, let it be a day of rest. Let this day refresh you. Let it restore your faith. Let it strengthen your soul. Let it comfort you, for those of you who are down and discouraged. That's what Jesus did this day. He comforted them. And then he said, off you go and go go change the world upside down. But he took the time to refresh them. The other thing I want you to, the last thing I want you to think about here is that there is one other meal that's going to take place. And it's going to be in heaven. And this meal is not going to be a breakfast. It's going to be a dinner. Revelation 19 describes it this way. An angel said to John in his vision, Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Invite those who are mine to the marriage supper. The story does not end at a breakfast on shoreline. On the shoreline. It ends in heaven in a marriage feast an evening dinner feast with Jesus. I can't wait for that dinner. I don't know what's going to be served. I don't care because I'm going to be with Jesus in heaven eating dinner with him. And I want to see you there with me too. Don't you want to be at that dinner? If you do, what you have to do is you got to admit you're a sinner. You don't have it all together because none of us do and that's okay. You have to believe that Jesus is perfect and he came to suffer and die so that you could be forgiven and to pay the price that you all 
or we all deserve to pay. And then commit your life to following him, saying, Jesus, I know I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to work hard and get involved in church and love you and love my family and love my neighbor as myself. I'm going to seek to do what I can for you while I live the rest of this life. If you admit you're a sinner, believe in Jesus, and commit your life to following Jesus, you've made the discovery. You've made the discovery. So if you're here and you haven't made that discovery, make it today. Let this Easter Resurrection Sunday be the day for you to do that. If you've made that discovery already and you just need to be refreshed and renewed, let this be that day. Hold on to what, what I've shared with you today and be reminded that Jesus is alive and he's here for you.